Well, good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Alyssa. I'm one of the pastors here. And let me say, this is my first time with um, a live stream in a few months. And it's a little crazy and weird that no one is here. Um, but there's so many great volunteers here. Thank you all. You're doing great. Um, before I share with you this morning, um, I just want to take a moment of silence uh, for the young man who was murdered this week. Um, 23-year-old Casey Christian Goodson Jr. was shot by police on Thursday. So I'm going to take a moment um, of silence for him and for his family. As we continue to seek racial justice and reconciliation, as we await in this season the coming of the Prince of Peace, may we remember the lives of those who are no longer with us because of racial and racist violence. We pray for the family of this man and for those who fired the shots. We pray for justice and we pray for true peace in our world. And we pray that, as, um, that we as a community can continue to seek truth and justice in this world and in our city, not just by our words and our prayers, but also by our actions and in our relationships. Amen. So I have an announcement to share with you all this morning. Um, this has been a, a weird season uh, with COVID for the last um, year and a half. Well, for, for a year, um, from July 2019 through uh, June 2020, um, I had spent most of my time away uh, pastoring a couple other churches um, alongside my work here at Central City with Little Bottom. So I wasn't present on Sunday mornings. Um, and then COVID hit. And when I started back full-time in July, um, we were no longer meeting in person. And so if you have seen me, if you're new, or if you've started at Central City in the last year and a half or so, you've probably only seen me on a screen. Um, but uh, as Joe and I continue, um, so Joe and I are married, if you're new here, um, but as we continue to invest in our, in our relationship, in our marriage, in our family, um, I have made the decision to resign from my role as pastor here at Central City, including um, my role as overseeing the Little Bottoms Free Store. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that Joe and I are pretty open about our relationship and the ongoing challenges that we've had. We've been transparent from up front, um, and as we've met with people individually, um, as you can imagine, working together, raising a child, um, starting something new, and everything else crazy that we've done in the last four years um, has put a lot of strain on our, on our marriage. In July, we were able to take a mini sabbatical to work um, a little on our marriage and to figure out how or if we can continue working together in this capacity. Um, at the end of that time, and through continued discernment this fall, I felt that God was leading me to step down from being a pastor at this time. So I won't be pastoring another church right now. Um, I really desire to continue to be a part of the community of Central City, and um, I'll just, in this season, be discerning what else God might have for me. Um, yeah. So you'll still see me around uh, in whatever ways we can see each other during a pandemic. Um, but I want to say thank you to you all, to this community, for those that started with us, those who were with us for a time and are no longer here, those who are here now, 
Um, thank you for your grace, um, for me, for our family, for the mistakes that I've made, for learning with me, for coming alongside me and us. Um, thank you for your support and your love for me and for our family. Over and over, every single person who has heard about our challenges um, has been quick to remind me and us that our marriage is more important than this church, that the church will be fine, but um, Joe and I need to be okay. And we have continued to feel that support every single day, and that support is one of the reasons why I'm able to share this with you today. I also want to thank you for being a community who desires to know God and to seek justice in this world. Thank you for caring for your neighbors, even if they are different from you. Thank you for your generosity of time, of money, and of yourselves to serve others. And thank you for trusting that God can and will use us if we make ourselves available. So thank you, and uh, keep fighting the good fight. I'll see you soon, hopefully. Here's Joe. As you can imagine, this is... Um comes after a very um, long season of, a very difficult season of, of prayer and, and discernment. And I just want to uh, say a, a couple things. Um, um, if you're wondering how you can support us during this time, I encourage you to, um, uh, you know, give us some patience and prayers. And um, we are really grateful, as Alyssa so eloquently said. Um, a couple other notes. Um, this really comes out of a desire for us to answer the question, how do we have a healthy marriage and also a healthy ministry life? And um, it, it was a result of very difficult decision for both of us. Um, uh, and Alyssa is, um, you know, continues to be committed to figuring out what God wants to do in her life and um, uh, wants to make a difference in the world, and, and, and those are those are hard questions to answer in light of all this. I also want to say, you know, this was a result of um, just where we were at, where I was at, what Alyssa was discerning as we prayed. Um, it could have uh, gone a different way. Um, I, I feel like in the culture that we live in, the the uh, a co-pastor and the wife uh, steps down. Uh, there's certain assumptions that could be made about that, and I just want to say that you don't make those assumptions. Um, it could have easily um, worked out um, where I stepped down. Alyssa would have done a fantastic job uh, figuring out what next looks like. But given our own life uh, and where we're at and where each of us are individually, this is just what it looks like. So uh, if you have any questions, um, feel free to reach out to us. If you have any questions around what, the, what our community, our church, our board is doing during this time to support us, um, feel free to reach out to our board, um, either our president, Stephen Smith, or uh, the chair of our uh, pastor relations, uh, Jeremy uh, Got it, and I'm, I'm sure they'd be more than willing for me to share their contact if, you, if you'd like to connect with them. And, and I, will, I will just say, even this is going to be a great loss to our community. Alyssa has done in, in, uh, quite a bit for us, um, whether you're aware of it, but um, we have an amazing community and amazing volunteers that are stepping up during this season. So while we ask for patience, um, the ministry that we do, Sunday mornings, a Little Bomb's Free Store, and, and all the other things, they will continue on as best that they can as we figure out this transition. So with all that, I'm going to uh, pray, and then we'll get into our message. God, we come before you, and we give you thanks for the ways in which you work in our lives, even when we're not happy about it. We ask that you would continue to do that, that your spirit would fall on us, on myself and on Alyssa and on this community and on those who are tuning in. Um, 
that you'd work in all of our lives. We all wrestle with difficult seasons and hard decisions. We're all healing from something. So come and meet us. Show us the way. Amen. You know, um, the ingredient, do you, do you know the ingredient for a really good Christmas movie? I'm going to change tones here, uh, and, and so let's have a little bit of fun. Did you, a really good Christmas movie uh, needs a certain kind of ingredient. You, you can't tell another movie about Santa Claus uh, and make it interesting. Um, maybe you can. I've seen a few. But the secret isn't to tell another story about Santa Claus. You've you got to tell a story that maybe just involves Santa Claus somehow. Uh, what makes a Christmas movie is when it's not about uh, the Santa Claus who's like an A character. It's about some kind of B character. When you follow Santa Claus's grumpy brother, or you follow the story of one of Santa Claus's elves, and Santa Claus is just a side character in the story, uh, one, of the, one of the greatest Christmas movies ever made, right, Elf? Um, uh, but uh, recently I watched Noel where you follow Santa Claus's uh, sister. And I love a good B story or a story about a B character when the B character, the B story, uh, is the main story. Well, the real Christmas story has its own B story. Everyone knows about, oh, I hope so, anyways, if you're tuning in, if you don't, don't, don't feel bad, but everyone, most people know about Jesus, and he's born in a manger, and there were shepherds, and wise men, and Mary and Joseph. We've seen the nativities on our mantles, and in front of churches, and, uh, and they're on Christmas cards, and they're littered with images of these important characters, and there's more than one historic painting, and the carols, Oh, the carols, they're all about Jesus and the manger and the angels and the shepherds. Shoot, even Bethlehem gets its own jingle. We know these too well. But here's one B story with its own set of characters that don't get too many carols, at least carols that I'm familiar with. If we had a movie, it might start something like this. Just imagine with me. The camera is on the nativity. The nativity being that moment where Jesus is born and the shepherds visit, and even though the wise men aren't there yet, you know, they're there too somehow because it's a nativity. It's just cute. It's beautiful. The camera's on the nativity. Jesus is born Christmas morning. And then there's this drone effect, right? So the camera lifts up, and it carries you all the way across the countryside to this little suburb of Jerusalem to a little house where there's another baby crying who's being held by his mother. And then the narrator, in a very good narrator voice, says, you might be familiar with Jesus, but have you heard of Jesus's second cousin, John, who lived not far from here? He was born a few months before Jesus, and while he wasn't the Messiah, he's still an important part of the Christmas story, Right? Doesn't that sound like the introduction of a really good B character Christmas story, right? We're gonna, we know the, the main story, now we're going to follow the second one. If, if, if John got a Christmas movie, it, it'd start like that. The camera would zoom back uh, in time, and before John was born, it would zoom into the temple in Jerusalem where John's dad was working in the temple as a priest. And you'd see his wife, Elizabeth, who was too old to have any children. They had tried, but it, but it wasn't possible. So imagine Zach's surprise when he's in the temple 
temple and a bright light shines and an angel appears and he tells his wife that they're going to have a kid. He laughed, of course, in the great tradition of people who are told they're going to have kids when they're too old to give birth. He laughs. That's what you do. But the angel of the Lord wasn't joking. Elizabeth becomes pregnant and eventually John is born. Before there was Jesus born, there was John. And if John had a nativity, like Jesus gets, it might be his dad and his mom standing outside the temple in Jerusalem holding their little baby, a child made only possible because of a promise made by God. While it sounds like a B character story, it's in the Bible for a reason. You can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 1. If you've been following along in our daily devotions, which you can find on our website, um, you've been spending some time this week with Zach and, and, and Elizabeth. Uh, but to understand why it's in the Bible, uh, you have to understand that this isn't where John's story ends. You see, John was the son of a priest, and not just any priest, a Jerusalem priest, a priest who got to work in the temple, which goes to say that he would be raised with the best education, the best classes and theological training. He had all the resources of Jerusalem at his disposal, which is saying something because Jesus, who, you know, other than being God, was the son of a carpenter who lived in Nazareth, a week's journey from Jerusalem in the middle of nowhere where maybe there wasn't even a synagogue super close by. But not John. John, he would get access to it all. He, he was a Jew in the great city of Jerusalem, and there's a lot he could do with that kind of education and that kind of experience and that kind of parent. So who knows how upset his parents are when he decides to run away. Now, this part isn't in Scripture, but it's entirely likely that he went and studied with this group called the Essenes. They were famous uh, for their preservation of what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Maybe you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, but they did more than just write things down and hide them in caves. Uh, they were a monastic community that took their faith really seriously and lived very simply, not like those rich Jews who lived in the city. What we do know for sure is John ends up living in this kind of way. He becomes an outdoors man. He, he preaches in the rural countryside. He lives off the land. He rejects the wealth of the city, and he rejects sort of the religiously proud that he grew up around, and, and af, as if he's rejecting the very wealth and opportunity of his family. So John's message becomes simple, so simple it's easy to remember. He said it over and over again. When he starts his ministry, his main message was repent and believe. He loved to call people out, telling them they need to change they needed to stop pretending to be religious and start living authentic lives of faith. He told people that if anyone who has two shirts, they should take one of their shirts and give it to someone who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And if you work in some kind of business, you shouldn't cheat people or be greedy. He was a prophet. And like all the great prophets before him, he told people to get it right. Repent and believe, John's message. And for those who repented and believed, he would dip them into water, much like those uh, Essenes that I told you about with the Dead Sea Scrolls. They would have these big uh, carved out stone baths, and you would walk through them. You would go into the water and come out as a way of symbolizing what it means to wash away all of your past, all of your sin, all of your shame. And John picked that up. Whether he was with them or not, he began to do similar things, and he would dip people into a river to wash them clean. 
Now, John's message was so important that when it came time for Jesus to start his ministry, the ministry maybe we're more familiar with, he came to John, and he asked John to baptize him. John baptizing Jesus. How's that for a B character? It said that John's message preceded Jesus' message uh, on purpose, not because uh, his message was more important than Jesus, uh, but rather because his message made a clear uh, way for Jesus's. John's message was um, uh, important because it needed to be heard for, first, to, to have ears to really understand what Jesus had to say, you had to first repent and believe which means this. One, admit that you haven't gotten it right and you don't have it all figured out, that you've likely messed up a few times along the way. If you haven't realized that, it's true. You haven't always gotten it right. You've messed up along the way, and there's a better way. And two, to repent and then believe is to simply say to trust that God has a way forward. That's John's ministry, preparing the way. You can read about it in all four Gospels, Mark chapter 1, John chapter 1, Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 3. They all talk about John's message and ministry. But his story doesn't end there either. Jesus was, uh, John was committed to the truth and to calling out injustice when he saw it. His dad was a priest, but he was a prophet. A prophet was called uh, to call out kings. It's what they did. It's their job description. You won't read a story about a prophet who doesn't come in contact with a king either to give advice or to convict. Well, John called out the local king, known as a king anyways. He wasn't technically a king, but it wasn't his official title, but that's how the story tells it. King Herod. John calls out King Herod. It lands him in prison. And uh, you didn't criticize King Herod without ending up in prison. And it doesn't go well for John. Now, you've probably heard the A story about Jesus getting arrested Jesus dying on a cross, how he was arrested and beaten and put to death by Herod and Pilate and the Romans. We celebrate his death and resurrection every year at Easter. In fact, icons and cutouts and paintings of Jesus hanging on a cross might be one of the most prominent religious symbols in the world found in every country and continent. But John has a similar story. You see, Herod had a wife, but he saw his brother's wife and said, I think I'd rather have her, and so since he was king, he made it so. Not a very good thing to do. That's the kind of thing a prophet would call out, which John does, but Herod would have none of that. Ultimately, after getting arrested, John is put to death. He's beheaded, which, to be fair, wouldn't make a very good icon to hang on your wall, but an important part of this story anyways. You can read it for yourself in Matthew chapter 14. You see, John's story is similar to Jesus' story in a lot of ways, on purpose, as an example to all of us. We're all B characters in the Christmas story, in the gospel story, and we should have a story that looks like John's. So let me explain. Advent is a Latin word that means coming or arrival. And the season of Advent is, is all about preparing for the coming of Christ, both in his birth at Christmas and when he comes again, and when we have to stand before God in, in the last days. So it's a tradition like Lent that goes back hundreds of years. And today, on the second Sunday of Advent, has often been a Sunday dedicated to John the Baptist. And this won't surprise you now that you know his story. 
Because it was said of this of John, in Luke chapter 3, 4 through 6, quoting the Old Testament Isaiah, it says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. See, John had a role, a specific role. He would prepare the way of Jesus. He would clear a path. He would go ahead. We, we look at John's story. We're seeing um, him prepare for Christ uh, in a couple, in three ways. John prepared the way by being born before him, by preaching before him, and by being executed before him, each time setting up what Jesus would ultimately do. John's story is intricately tied to Jesus' story. He shares a similar birth. He preaches a message and does ministry right before Jesus. And even in death, John is arrested and killed by the same Roman officers as Jesus. In other words, John is connected to Jesus in birth, in message, and death. And I want to suggest that if we are to prepare for Christ this Christmas— it will likely involve those three things. Jesus' birth, Jesus' message, and death. Consider John's message and how it connects to Jesus. He told people to repent and believe, which is essential to understanding Jesus' message. Jesus had amazing things to say, things about what it means to love the poor, to love our enemies, to not go after wealth or, or honor, but to live a worry-free, humble life. Jesus had hard things to say to the religious and, and grace for the sinners. You can, you can see all of this in the Gospels, but especially in Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount. But these words will be nothing but nice platitudes if we don't first heed John's words. Repent and believe. Recognize that you don't have it all figured out. You haven't always gotten it right. And choose to live differently. Choose to trust God's will for your life. Only then does Jesus' teaching move from quotes and nice sayings that you might put on a coffee mug to goals to live by. You know, we still need John's message to prepare us for Christ. In the same way, we try to find our connection to Jesus' death and birth. Just like John, we too, I think, are meant to have a connection to Jesus' birth and to Jesus' death. Now, you might ask, what connection do we have to Christ's birth? Is it like we're to be born again? And what connection do we have uh, to Christ's death? Are we to pick up our cross and die as well? Well, don't you see? We are. To, to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, to truly prepare to accept Jesus this Christmas, you need two things. We talk of salvation in these two ways. We talk of faith in these two ways. First, Jesus says that, yes, you should be born again. And when he tells it to somebody in John chapter 3, the guy he's talking to thinks it's pretty funny. Am I to crawl back into my mother's womb, he asks. He laughed and poked fun just like every other time God told someone a birth was supposed to happen that otherwise felt impossible. Yet to follow Jesus, uh, uh, to follow Jesus he doesn't laugh. He knows that we need to experience the, the kind of new life that can only be described as being born again. Miraculous, supernatural new birth by the Spirit of God poured out in our, in our lives. A spiritual new birth. 
To accept Jesus is to have your own Christmas story. To experience such new life that it's as if you are starting your life over again and entering the world for the first time. If, if you've chosen God and you've experienced the Spirit of God, you could probably put together your own nativity scene. It, it probably wouldn't be in front of a temple. It, it, it certainly might not be in a stable with shepherds and wise men. But maybe it's just a simple nativity of you kneeling before God at the side of your bed. Maybe it's that moment where you answered a call to ministry. Maybe it's a picture of you coming forward in a church service. Maybe it's just you sitting with a friend who shares God's grace to you for the first time, and something happens in that moment. That would be your nativity scene. Maybe it's right now. Your nativity would be you sitting on a couch in front of a laptop screen watching some guy talk. But something about it, because God is mysterious and can't be understood. The Spirit of the Lord still met you and changed your life. And the only way you knew how to describe it would be a new birth, and that was your nativity scene. Whatever your nativity scene is, it's a story of new life coming. But that's not where any of these stories end, of course. Not only are we to be born again, but we must die. Jesus tells us that we are to pick up our cross and follow him. We are to die ourselves. To, to accept Jesus is not only to have a Christmas story, but an Easter story. To follow Jesus by laying down our life, by surrendering all that we have to God and to neighbor, by, by putting others before ourselves, by standing up for what is right no matter what it will cost us, by sacrificing and by loving. Here's what it looks like to lay down your life. We're not talking about a literal death any more than a literal birth, even though many have died because they follow Jesus still today. It's not a requirement for faith, but it happens. Think of it like this. Gather the things you might have uh, when you go out into the world. If you remember what it was like to go out into the world, um, uh, people used to do that. Um, gather the things you might have. I've got a wallet, my keys, and my phone. And uh, you can allow these things to represent the most important things in your life. So the keys um, can represent uh, your home. I got my car keys on here. I even have uh, keys for work. So it can represent what I own, my house, um, my car, uh, my work. Um, and then you can open your wallet and you can pull out, uh, you know, you've got your debit card. I won't let you, don't zoom in on this, please. Um, <laughs> just, uh, I got my debit card and it represents all the money I literally have right now. Uh, I won't tell you what that is. Uh, um, you also have a, a, a credit card um, representing all the money I wish I had and uh, probably shouldn't spend. Um, we'll do a series on debt at some point, but uh, not today. Uh, I got a, a license, represents, um, you know, what the rights that I have as an American citizen, maybe you have something similar, whether you're a, a citizen or not watching um, of, of a country or otherwise, uh, but it represents the rights that I have and whatever those are due to me. And then I've got my phone, and it represents all the things that I connect to, <laughs> all the people, all the contacts, my family, my friends, my loved ones, my business connections. I've got it all right here. Here's what it means to die to yourself. You take it all and all that it represents and you say, God, I surrender to you. It's yours. It's not mine anymore. My checking account, my relationships, my house, my 
car, my job, my career, my calling. This is what we talk about when we say pick up a cross and follow Jesus, lay it down. We say, okay, these things are blessings. These things are things that you've given me. Maybe I'm meant to be a steward of these things, a manager. You know, I'll use these on your behalf, God, but they're not mine anymore. That's what it means to die to yourself, to share in Christ's death. Now, that's easy enough because I'm going to pick these up and I'll put them back in my wallet and I'll go on with my life. But here's where I want you, if, and I encourage you to do this. Here's where it gets very real. Before you pick them back up, ask yourself this question. With each one, if, if God wanted me to surrender this for real, leave it for real, give it up for real, would I be willing all the rights I have as a citizen of these great states of, you know, America? Am I, would I be willing to surrender those rights? All the money I currently have, all the money I hope to have, my house, would I give it away? God asked me to. You, you, you got to wrestle with this, friends. This isn't going to be easy. It should feel like dying. If it feels like dying, then you're getting pretty close to what we're talking about. My car, my career, all of my friendships, before you pick them back up, ask yourself, what if God asked me to actually surrender them? Not just in an act of worship where they become a blessing that I steward, but actually give them up. Would you do it? No matter the cost. You know, this time each year we prepare for Christmas. We uh, order presents. I've gotten a few under the tree already. I feel pretty far ahead. You know, we set up our tree and decorate. Maybe you've done that. We bake cookies. Um, I don't know whose idea it was to cook cereal in Worcestershire sauce, um, but it's the, my favorite thing of the holidays. I mean, like, who, who thought that would be a good idea? But Chex Mix is my favorite uh, thing. And we do all of these things, so much to prepare for Christmas. I'm getting ready. I love getting ready for Christmas. But these things will do little to help you prepare for Christ. If we are to prepare for Christ to come into our lives, we have to think deeply about our connection to Christ's birth, Christ's message, and Christ's death. To prepare for Christmas, we might bake cookies and wrap presents. But to prepare for Christ, we have to lay down our lives so that we can start them over again as if we're being born again. Last week, we lit a candle, and if you're following along, you can do so at home. We lit a candle for hope, a sun coming up over the mountains. And in hope, we talked about what it means to hold on to God, even in the darkness, that we'll hold on and we won't let go, that God will show up. Today, we light a candle representing what it means to have the mind of Christ, to have faith. Ultimately, what it means to no longer hold on, but to let go. We choose to repent and believe. We trust that whatever we lose in the process of letting go will gain in following God, and that we'll gain more even in following God. Let us pray. God, we come before you and we give you praise. Help us, Lord, to be people of faith. Help us to repent so that we might believe. Help us to trust that 
And all of those things you asked us to surrender, they're really just doorways to new life, to being born again. Meet us in this moment. Lord, I pray especially for anyone who is watching right now, who's maybe experiencing your spirit in a way they haven't before, and this, this might become that moment that they hold on to as a, as a new beginning, a new life that they found in you. We lift them up to you, help us to surround them, and help them uh, become more like you. Give you praise. Amen.